Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and in this episode we talk with Mary McGuckian about her latest film, A Girl from Mogadishu. This is a powerful and inspiring film and it's based on the true story of the global gender-based violence activist Aoife Ahmed. We began by talking about how Mary started out as a writer when she discovered the players with Student Drama Society early on in university. You know, engineering was just something I went to university to study. But I'd say I was there a week and I discovered players. And so quite quickly got the bug of... It was an incredible resource at the time because the as students in, in, in my day, you know, there were very few theatres in Ireland. And, and even though players was a student theatre, it was treated as a, a sort of a semi-professional outing in any event it, it was an, a great stomping ground and and it was a very creative group of people i think there just was a a period of time when a community emerged out of there i mean most of the people i would have known and players are still uh, acting writing directing as as we all went on to do and what was lovely about coming back to do girl from Mogadishu was some of them paulie mcglynn i'm thinking and stanley townsend or even in the movie so anyway that that's that's how I started originally as a writer, but but in theatre, very much in theatre. There was no there was no formal film ed, uh, kind of entry system in Ireland at that time. Theatre to film does seem to be a very very common crossover, and um, yeah. But I do think you can. It's it's very different sensibilities. Can you tell me about how maybe that would Im- impact your take on how to shoot a film? Completely. Well, here's a funny story. The very first film I ever made was an adaptation of a play by W.B. Yeats. So I was coming from a very theatrical background, you know, a theatre-based background. And every, you know, at simplest, as we know, theatre is is a format of language for language, uh, whereas film is a visual format. So it's quite a, quite a difference. But there was a long story how how, how originally I had written the the screenplay for somebody else, but after many years of getting involved in the development of it and the writing of it and it had won a number of awards and all the rest of it and had a wonderful cast and, and the director who was uh, earmarked to direct it very kindly at a certain point turned around and said I don't I think you have an opportunity to direct your first film you should take it and I'd never I genuinely hadn't thought of doing it but in any event when I went to direct it I was so uneducated in particularly post-production but in filmmaking vocabulary that which was probably it's saving that i directed it like a stage play so every scene was a developing shot and i always remember the editor campan when uh, the, the who, who came over to do it and we didn't hire him till we finished the film that's how we used to do things and um he said oh how many slates are there i said 187. he said what are you sure i think you've got that wrong i said no no there are 187 slates Anyway, he came over and he said, I'm, he couldn't believe it because every single scene had been shot like a developing shot. And he just had to go end to end to end to end to end. I hadn't understood the concept of coverage. I've since learned. <laughs> but in any event, so it was a very unusual piece. And do you think as well that it's, it, it, it impacts the way that you are trying to kind of, again, cover the focus of the camera? I, I, I think like actors and people from theater i personally just observing their work they tend to have a great um understanding of character immediately and and that kind of development and and about the actual performance of the actor where as in as opposed to 
you know, like this is this is how we capture, this is how we stage, this is the way the camera needs to move. Do you think that is the sensibility that? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing two different questions there. Yeah. One, visually, yes. I mean, you do, but you, you, we, we learn very quickly. And we now live in a world where there is so much, so much visual exposure that most people now could make a movie on their iPhone. So we've covered an incredibly long way, and and would know to to turn around and do coverage and 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 the difference between you know and moving shots and all those things has become much more sophisticated. Um, so I'm not sure that visually a theatre background. Would impact as long as you innately have have a visual sensibility, but I but I do very much notice the difference between theatre training and non-theatre trained actors. I mean that, that that's always very obvious. It's exciting when you have when you work with actors to me because that's my background who have a foundation in theatre and are, are more theatre based. It is a different approach, and it's always very exciting when when you bring that onto a set. There, there, there's a, there are different dimensions. What would that be? Would they think more about the character? It depends on the culture. I mean, we had, I remember um, Tamara Gecko coming into The Price of Desire and her background is Serbian and Eastern European theatre, which is a very different sensibility. And you could just feel the weight of that theatrical history in every step she took and every word she uttered. It, it, so that grad, I mean, I, I used to say years ago, you know, the, the few of us who started together in theatre in Ireland, at a time when films were starting to emerge and we seem to be generating maybe one male movie star per decade, starting maybe you know, from Pierce, you know, Richard Harris, Pierce Brosnan, Gabriel Byrne, you know, one, Colin Farrell, whatever. Once a decade, we had one fabulously successful, swarthy Irish male actor. And it, it was clear to me that there hadn't been, uh, you know, an international breakout in film of a female Irish actor since Maureen O'Hara and that there probably wouldn't be in my younger lifetime. Eventually Saoirse emerged and a whole new generation of fabulous young Irish actors have emerged. But I, I, at that time I put that down to a sensibility. We had a very grounded, earthy kind of theatre style. We had very strong female characters in our theatrical canon, but we had a performance style on stage that just didn't translate into what was going on for women in film at that time. And so you had these beautiful French and, 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 and some you know, strong British representation in the international female uh, actors lists, but not Irish. And it was a it was a style. It was a it was a performance style thing. I feel that that was that was some would say an obstacle to others would say, well, that was our, our, our kind of performance tradition, which had more of an earthiness in it that just wasn't translating to the film performance style of, for women at that time. Then there's a whole bigger conversation about well, there weren't that many roles and and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's that's very interesting actually. I'd love to see a, a PhD or a few things written up about that. I think it's you know that it's a circular thing that we mustn't forget, which is that the representation of women in front of and behind the camera, you know, relates not just to a kind of a more systemic picture everything but that they are self that they were self-perpetuating the lack of female writers the lack of female roles the lack of female directors they were each self-perpetuating of each other that's true and actually if you look at kind of classic irish theater women you did have women roles and really interesting roles by women but they're all as observed by the male and very much so observed characters rather than like fully rounded and you'd have like people bringing very interesting stuff to it but like mm. 
you know, like when you're looking at like, to say, I don't know, like Sive or something like that. And then you have like, you know, the, the representation of what is good and virginal. And then you have like the naggy mom, but it is all like observed women as well, which is, and and how shocking in her, like even international theater, how, yeah, so few women writers had, had their plays put on up until um, Wake of the Feminists. In, in, yeah, in the absolutely in in the, from the foundation of the state through uh, to recently, but prior to that, we have a tradition that I did think per, it permeates somewhere. It's in our DNA, but pre pre and post Celtic dawn that did ha you know we did have female writers, we did have female poets, we did have you know we did we did have a, 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 you know in a more mythical theater we we had female characters of that that uh, you know represented that that matriarchal dna from celtic cultures so we did have that in a way that other societies may not and i do think that permeated into that performance style there was a strength and earthiness in it in the 20th century even though the representation of women in the in in the modern plays that were emerging in the 50s 60s and 70s were incredibly derivative of of, of, of our view of women at that time but but there's, you know, the waking the feminists didn't come from nothing. You know, it it, ha it 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 had a cultural DNA from before the foundation of the state that that it that it tapped into. But it is something that you definitely like. I mean, the strong female matriarch is definitely something that you know we were mm. familiar with it, even if we didn't fully understand what it what it meant or it. it you know, from a male perspective, it's probably quite threatening and nagging. From a female perspective, it's very empowering and interesting to, to look at. It, it tends to be about autonomy. You know, it, in drama, what we started to do when we had male perspective stories was we stopped treating women as characters like the Deirdres and, and Emers of our, of our traditional theatre. They were characters in their own right who were driving narrative in the, you know, in the kind of later 20 mid late 20th century when most of our theater and even early 21st century unbelievably uh when most of our writing was male generated women started our female characters and the, the women we were being asked to identify with and who we didn't find reflected our beings were characters uh derived by association so they were mothers daughters lovers of romantic potential romantic connections to always by association that's the big issue is once we start once we for me once writers are allowed to write characters that we produce with female directors in narratives that are driven by the female characters who have autonomy and independence only then will we stop this kind of associative derivative sense of womanhood yeah. and i think that's a perfect place to go into your very interesting work and talk about stories that interest you about strong fabulous women um, can you tell me a little bit about just in general, what are the type of projects that you find a connection to or that inspire you? Well, I mean, that, that's always a strong issue for me. And it was something that we all, were all most female filmmakers for men from, you know, of my generation were always struggling to find homes for stories and, 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 and not struggling. We just simply couldn't find home for story homes for stories that 
reflected the world that we hoped we we would aspire to so very often and i was speaking to another female director friend recently about it for very often for about 20 years and i kind of feel it started in the early mid 90s and went on till five years ago one was having to create projects with female characters by subterfuge so you would find yourself kind of creating story storylines that had hooks rather than stories driven by characters in order to by dint of subterfuge people these worlds with normal women that we could identify with and that we felt reflected our world but as things you know in the last five years and ireland was in a way was it has been a little ahead of the game more than talking the talk as we say generating actual funds to develop material that that is for by and about women so that that has been a phenomenal change because it has been so lacking for so long inevitably what's emerging are quite a number of issue driven films i'm sure we'll get over the you know it's a kind of a compensatory period but we'll get over that and hopefully be able to tell regular stories that just happen to be people by female characters who are real people it's a welcome change i think audiences are changing as well and it's and are really thirsting for content that is, yeah, is complex and from a different perspective. Mm. Yes, I think that the death of the rom-com is nigh. You know, relationship gets interesting from the end of those movies, not the beginning. So, I, but I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think audiences are more intelligent than perhaps financiers and distributors uh, are led, lead us to believe. A girl from Mogadishu. Uh, this is a beautiful, a beautiful, again, weighty film but very inspiring that and I, I really want to know a bit more about the process of of that getting made can you tell me about when you got attached to it for sure so I met Ifra through a charity that I use what remain associated with which assists emerging filmmakers from world countries and I I do very little for this charity other than um, every year they do an extraordinary job bringing female well um, film, emerging filmmakers from third world countries. That particular year, they they had East African female filmmakers who they had uh, prepped and brought to, were bringing to Cannes to introduce to the industry. Um, so my gig once a year was to do a kind of uh, um, a workshop to just start uh, uh, a workshop around pitching, basically. And at this particular event, where all these, I mean, they really didn't need a workshop from from me. They were f- fantastic, one after the other. Uh, on a particular, just a couple of days before Cannes, um, one fabulous Ethiopian, Somali or Sudanese filmmaker after another stood up to pitch their projects, which were had brilliant concept videos and they were, they were really superb. And I hope, in any event, um, there was a girl sitting in the corner dressed fabulous, with this incredible headdress and, and uh, she didn't seem to stand up. So I went over to her and said, uh, so are you going to speak? Are you one of the filmmakers? She said, no. I said, oh, where are you from? She said, Drumcondra. And then, you know, your, your kind of compensatory, because we're all racist fundamentally, uh, um, thing kicks in. So rather than saying you don't look like you're from Drumcondra, which inevitably you kind of hesitate on that. I said, well, were you always from Drumcondra? Um, and uh, anyway, it was funny. She said, no, I have an Irish passport. Do you want to see it? I said, I don't think I need to see it with that, with that accent. But in any event, um, so we started chatting. So it emerged, so she she had been she had was attending on behalf of the United Nations, and I think they were very keen, given her activism work, even to that at, at that stage, 
to see if a, a documentary could be made. And as it happened, they didn't seem to realize that she was quite well known in Ireland and there'd been a number of documentaries. In any event, um, we were chatting and she, I, I said, we agreed, I, I said, I'd love to hear her story. I mean, the truth is when you hear every story, it is so compelling and she is such a compelling person that you can't but want to amplify her voice and share what she has, the, the gift and the courage of her story, of her, the fact that she tells her story to the world. Um, I didn't know whether, you know, I'm, I'm slightly tainted by 25 years of impossible to get films made with female characters driving the narrative, impossible to get film, even more impossible to get films about Irish women made, even more impossible, an African-Irish woman, it seemed. Um, so the disappointment management level was quite high. So, but in any event, we thought we'd, we'd, we'd start. And uh, she agreed to the process. So the first thing we had to do was was figure out the story and and the truth was it was quite a public story because she had used it as as a campaign tool for her fgm campaign over the years um but in actual fact but without the detail that you would need for a movie there was no book there was no detailed script there was nothing actually to base it on so what she agreed to do was to sit down and in fact we did this a number of years a couple of years ago it was four years ago now during the go away film festival and Ifra came down and we hid ourselves in a room in the G Hotel with two cameramen from Windmill and she sat for two whole days and we filmed, she told me her story from beginning to end. And the rea and I suppose the structuring of the narrative came from that because in a way some of the detailed presentations she'd given over the years, particularly at the European Commission and other major panel events, was the detail of her story, maybe not quite in this detail. But uh, it was a phenomenal experience to, and it was tough for her and it was fantastic that she did it, but it became a phenomenal record and a phenomenal basis for the script. It also informed the structure and style of the storytelling in terms of giving her character the voice. And was it harder to base a script on someone's actual life? Like, is it harder to go, you can't take those creative liberties or you, you can either kind of want to fill in, but you you really have to be true to the subject matter as well. It's very restrictive. I mean, an interesting thing has happened. You know, there's a period of time when filmmakers created films as pieces of art that were completely the consent of their imagination. Over more recent years where marketing hooks are important, to an extent you have a lot of male directors who are quite branded. So this is a Richard Curtis kind of film, or this is a Lars von Trier kind of film, because they have that kind of branding around them. Um, female filmmakers generally don't have that kind of branding. So you, so when you go to market with stories, or when you try to pitch material, it is what what we find more and more, as you probably noticed, we seem to be in the period of the based on a true story, um, which is limiting to an extent. But then truth is more fictional than fictional as sometimes as, as emerges but yes to, to answer your question more directly making uh, films based on true stories is very restrictive i've done it a few times each time i've said i won't do it again and and i know other filmmakers who have, have who, it, it is very restrictive and you have to be incredibly sensitive you you know depends on whether it's a, and sometimes you're dealing you know, in the island gray case you're dealing with historical accuracy and estates and all of that with uh with with somebody who's i mean the difficulty is you know if her story is she's very young this is not a life story 
this is a period of a very young life that is already extraordinary. Um, we were also dealing with a very sensitive issue or a number of sensitive issues around gender-based violence, sexual violence and conflict, asylum, refugee status, gender-based violence generally, female gender mutilation. So they were all difficult subjects as well that required sensitivity. And so I, what I find is for each film based on a true story, you have to create your own world and your own conventions that are appropriate to the story. So it, once you get the conventions right, it actually probably is not that, it's not that difficult. And when it came to um, the act of, presumably if you can get two cameramen in a room, you already got development funding earlier on with this. Like, I mean, and it's a very human interest story mm. anyway. So presumably you'd be silly not. I, I hadn't at that point, no. Okay. I, I needed to know if there was a story. And then I remember, and then I remember, you know, I felt very strongly about it. I felt that it was at that point probably an impossible thing to get off the ground. But I I, I remember going to AFM or being in America on some on a different project and just generally pitching. I was pitching a different project, and you know the usual question is always, "And do you have anything else?" Um, which isn't a great sign, but in any event, and do you have anything else? So I started pitching the story to the extent that, I, and the reaction was incredible. And so I knew that it would, that, that it, that people would feel strongly about it. And I remember pitching it to the then head of the film board you know, at, at the very beginning of the, the, uh, you know, we, we really want to change the direction of the film board and incentivize and work on incentivizing films for buying about women. So, well, you don't get more, much more for buying about women than this. And so I remember, and I think it pitched well, and I remember the reaction, often the reaction, but particularly that CEO who was very, who was extraordinarily supportive of it was, was horrific. I mean, terrific. I mean, horrific. Um, so that that became kind of a little interior eternal joke around uh you know it, it's it, it was an incredible opportunity and it felt also like an incredible responsibility to make a movie about the modern face of women in ireland you notice even in our in our industry as well like the stories are very much so even if women's stories do get told they're very leaning towards middle class women's stories or the mm. outsider perspective observing working class women's stories so i think just it's not representative of a population that exists in ireland now like it's it's a new modern ireland i think it's important to tell those stories authentically mm. and to get the voices of um women across in the industry because i mean it's that's the whole purpose of the tool of filmmaking is to share other people's experience and, and to give empathy to stories maybe that people wouldn't necessarily have empathy well, you've, for. You've hit on another major issue which is you know well on, on the one side and you know in the uk uh, there's been a lot of voice given to this from actors such as judy dench to to the institutions involved in in fact, you, you, I, th I think it was even Benedict Cumberbatch who said, you know, it, it is terrible. You have much better chance of becoming an actor if you're middle class white male. Um, so really what you're leaning into, which I think is very important, is is and is emerging in Irish feminism and Irish and, and feminist culture is the recognition of the intersectionality that we need to address. And it starts with the storytellers. So broader access to storytelling from women from all communities is is key um, to that. And, 
anyway um, and you get this but this is her story and it's told very authentically and it's 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 a beautiful story and it's very important that it is told i think for that yes reason. but you are right it isn't if it isn't if it is you know if it didn't make the movie yeah but what i tried to do what i tried yeah. was to genuinely step back as the filmmaker and allow the voice to emerge and tell the story from her point of view but do you really get that sense that that's definitely there throughout the whole thing i feel like i'm watching her tell that story and i i can i can see it even the choice of of the way things are there and, and i think that's that's very important and i just wondered as well was there any politics because you are dealing with things that are active at the moment and it's quite positive like and everything in the, the, there's a lot about the film and i know it's an uplifting inspiring story but i'm just wondering did you come up against any politics there because it's a like you know ireland for refugees isn't necessarily the most friendliest place immediately all the time was there any kind of stories that that you were like okay well or or is it more like a conscious choice where that's not the story you were trying to tell one of the things that we were very conscious of is you know if 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 we were making a documentary then then certain issues would have probably been dealt with differently and and may have been more politically sensitive that you know this is a dramatic feature now narrative feature so it it it's it's a character story and certain licenses on absolutely and undoubtedly were taken and one of the most difficult to see you know it, it is such an it, there are so many issues that emerge in the film that the one that the that the one that i'm very conscious of that we chose you know there were i suppose the two main areas in ireland that we we chose not to get into because we just couldn't and and because they weren't ifra's experience and ifra's experience is quite unique ifra's experience because she arrived in ireland as a minor was not the same you know it was not a typical uh, asylum seekers experience and uh you know, and that that is a story for another day and and it and 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 it would be an important story um so i i i completely appreciate that that some people are looking going but surely what about direct provision and, and how difficult it is and and her and her her times in ireland where ireland isn't always the most welcoming place and 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 if would have to speak to that herself yeah. and any immigrant i've ever met in ireland i don't know i don't i haven't come across an immigrant person who hasn't experienced some level of racism in ireland um but that was not the film we were making and if well, we were making a film based on a character who tries to see the positive in everything and who is deeply appreciative of her adopted country and so that's the story we were telling and there were more than enough issues around the gender-based violence of it all that you know, for, at a certain point you have to think about your audience yeah. and uh, and as and, and I don't think the film, certainly if her story lacks authenticity in that regard, because that is the nature of the character that we were, whose story we were telling. Um, but I'm very conscious that it was a whole set of other issues that we couldn't and didn't address in this film. Um, and you know, there, there are 90 minutes to tell already what is, what is an involved story around the, gen, the, the, the very serious gender-based violence issues that emerge in it.
Yeah. And that that's just my thing. Was there any yeah, pushback it's, it's, or was it was there any um, influence to change that? But actually that answers it, that it is from her perspective and she's she's very positive about it, which, again, yeah. I suppose is a testament to her as a as a as a human being able to carry that and, and to be a spokesperson for it, because like yeah. you could just see it be so it's such a heavy thing. It'd be very easy to be crushed under the weight of it. And that is that positivity and strength that kind of pushes her through, which makes her just an amazing person to to watch her story for so long and um, through like a feature. And, and it's so inspiring. Um, would you ever be tempted to, to kind of <laughs> like stretch this out or like, again, it would be something fabulous for Netflix or, you know, that kind of narrative is very interesting now especially given the the climate and how things are shifting back in so many other countries at the moment mm. would it be something you ever thought of fictionalizing so that you could serialize it or anything like that um well this story i feel we've we've really told and really and as an as a piece of uh, as a piece of impact culture it's it it's having an effect but i i, I agree with you that we're at, at, at a time um and in a place in the kind of the, the global feminist wave where the where rollback is an issue um and that's it's shocking in our lifetime in my lifetime that that is happening um so it behoves those of us who have an opportunity to do so to re-examine and re-explore uh, issues of in a general sense um human justice but gen gender issues that are that um are uh, in, in any way being subjected to a level of rollback that might uh, mitigate against basic autonomy and independence and human rights so yes there are so many issues we can be dealing with there are many I'm, I am working on a series with with a, a writer's team at the moment which I'm very excited about which does address a completely different gender-based violence issue and we do find that uh, there is more than enough material to complexly fill 10 episodes it was it was a real challenge but but great fun to try to encompass if a story in a way in the 90 minute format with and try you know the more the, the most difficult thing i suppose in a way for me as 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 a writer was to find a way to give voice to a story that would be told sensitively that would not objectify or traumatize but at the same time re um respectfully represent the issue and and be more than uh, more than a holler from the rooftops, but actually uh, have some kind of universal theme that that warranted cinematic treatment. And so, in a way, we were talking. You know, we were talking about giving voice to to Ifra and her testimony. But really, what you know, I always feel for me, every film has to have an underlying thesis about which I am passionate enough to spend the time, energy, effort, and har har hassle and harassment that goes into making a movie to make it worthwhile. So. For me, the, the the theme that emerged and that really underpinned this this story was was the power of testimony, and Ifra is a Ifra as a character is a phenomenal example of that thesis. Have what one voice that has the courage to speak up uh, and tell her truth can achieve by telling her story, and that's a fundamental cultural concept: telling stories and the power of that testimony. And it's it's truly beautiful. And and again, like she she really is just such a, an amazing figure. 
Um, but I did, I want to go, there's so much I want to ask you about, but we, we don't have time, unfortunately. <laughs> but, I do, yeah. but I do, I want to talk very, very quickly and very quickly yeah. about um, uh, filming the scenes on the uh, scenes that were set in Somalia. Yes. Mm. Where were they shot? They're, they, oh, yes. Um, they were shot, so uh, that was always going to be difficult. You, know, you write your script and you think, don't be confined by how difficult this is going to be. So just tell the story. And then you slowly migrate, once the script gets to a place, into the practicalities of how to direct and make this movie. And, of course, I had written war scenes in Somalia and uh, rooftops and I don't know, all sorts of crikey, you know, how are we going to get the budget to do this? In any event, uh, so you do a bit of research. There have been a number of films set in Somalia, most of them were shot in Morocco. You can't go to Somalia to shoot for obvious reasons. Um, most of them were set in Morocco. Very often shot, starting with Captain Phillips, which Barkat Abdi, one of our actors, starred in, um, emerged in. Um, so, uh, you know, very cheap location rankings, basically. What I was very conscious of, and this was part of Ifra's gift to the film, was the, was the cultural authenticity. And the, the the one of the great gifts of this film has been an introduction to a world and people I I did not know and and Somali people are are so like I mean, there's a terrible I mean it's a line in the film there's and I just put it in because uh, you know there's a, a line in the film where apparently famously Richard I've forgotten his name now described the Somali people as the Irish of Africa to the British government. And there's, there's horrific as the statement was intended to be at the time. Um, there's some truth to it. Very culturally similar. Great humor. They understand what slagging is. You know, great spirit, general. Anyway, phenomenal. So one of the issues, every Somali person I met um, before we made the film um, um, uh, wanted to make sure that I understood was that there had not been a film that they'd ever seen set in Somalia that looked like it was set in Somalia. And there were a number of giveaways. And a particular giveaway is graffiti with Arabic writing. Because Somali is not Arabic, it's a different language. Um, there were other giveaways. Anyway, so I was determined to try to break this issue. So a lot of films have shot around Rabat and Casablanca and uh, anyway, we started there. And anyway, it's usual. It's much easier to location recce these days, and 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 there's a very good industry in Morocco, and we had a co-producers there who were in, who were phenomenal actually. Um, so we found uh, a lot of films go to much bigger cities, but because we wanted we were small, we could move to to more difficult locations. So we went to the little town of Aswira, and we were able just by spending a lot of time. It's all about prep, 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 prep location records and spending a lot of time figuring out how in a very tight schedule with a very tight budget we could make these things happen and and anyway we were very very lucky with the location i have a great designer who i've worked with a number of times as sticky and rigorous as i am around prepping and locations and design and all of that brilliant and it's stunning and yeah. then finally how has it been getting this screened now with everything that's happening so the great sadness was, you know, it's hard to put uh, the, the four bite about women films that are now getting made still struggle with a, a, a kind of a patriarchal run distribution system that doesn't that, that combined with the actual state of the industry was difficult enough until everything fell off a cliff with COVID. I was looking forward to catching this at a uh, callous like in March. <laughs> yes, exactly. So 
we had we had months of prep and it was a very well organized campaign through through the US festivals and the autumn. Anyway, we got as far as International Women's Day, which was the Belgian premiere, I remember, uh, which I think was the 8th of March, or it would have been that's International Women's Day. And the Irish release, we were kind of lucky that it was three or four weeks out, not one or two weeks when COVID hit. So who knew then, you know, everything just got cancelled. And in the end, and this, as we know, has gone on for months, and I'm not complaining because there are much bigger issues at, at, at stake, but it's been interesting watching the different distributors in different countries innovate around it. So in the end, in America, they that quite early on, they had, were of a view that cinemas would not open for a long time. And so they skipped cinemas and went straight to Showtime. So the film actually ended up being released on Showtime in July. And then uh, the UK Irish uh, distributors have, in fact, we've ended up innovating something with much more impact, I hope, um, with this campaign across the 16 days of activism. So what was a premiere in the lighthouse is now a global virtual premiere uh, with a panel with the Irish ambassador, Jodine Bernason, interviewing Natalia Canem from the UNFPA and all these different stakeholders internationally. And they're running these virtual events with IFRA Foundation from West America, East Coast America, UK, Ireland, I think on Wednesday through the 16 days, Europe, East Africa, West Africa, and ending up in Somalia. So that's a very exciting thing to have innovated. That would, I don't think that would have happened pre-COVID. And then our distributors are will just are, are becoming incredibly flexible. So they will release the film on December 4th, however and where they can. Brilliant. And we'll make sure to include all links in the bio for this. So click in. So we'll we'll definitely uh, give that a big holler. Brilliant. So I, I, as I understand it, you know, if the cinema is open in the IFI, you can go into the IFI. If it's not, you can go to the IFI website. Same with the Lighthouse and Palace and all the, the different cinemas. So finally, we're all innovating and watching movies at home. There will be cinema experiences in the future, we hope. But for now, we'd like people to be able to see the film. Yeah, so something beautiful, positive and nourishing is what I'd like to describe the film. But thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you very much, Gemma. It's been a pleasure. Really a pleasure. Great line of questioning.